You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast made possible by our members. And we're recording this episode on Thursday, the 11th of May. And this week, we're going to talk about Sweden's Eurovision chances. We'll ask why the far-right Sweden Democrat leader Jimmy Okason is suddenly all over the news after a few months in the shadows. We consider how learning Swedish also gives you the keys to Danish and Norwegian. And finally, we'll examine Social Democrat leader Magdalena Andersson's claim that Sweden's government is endangering the country's democracy. I'm Paul O'Mahony and sitting with me here in Stockholm is James Savage. Well, we're joined from the Malmo studio by Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. How are you all? Hello. Yeah, very well. Good, thank you. Really well, really well, because... I'm looking at the sunshine and I'm walking around without a jumper on for the first time in seven months. I am walking on sunshine. When it's great in Stockholm, it's really lovely. And so, you know, the rosé is practically open already. Uh, before we launch into the news, we should mention that there's a possibility that a rail strike will have broken out by the time this episode goes live. Uh, at the time of recording, employers and unions have not yet shown any signs of breaking the deadlock. You can check the show notes for updates on a strike that could bring trains to a halt all over the country. Okay, moving on. So we're releasing this episode on Friday, a day earlier than usual, because we have the Eurovision Song Contest coming up on Saturday night. And we wanted to preview it a bit because Eurovision, as you no doubt know, is a massive deal in Sweden. Uh, We'll listen to an interview about Sweden's chances in a minute. But I just wanted to ask first about your own levels of preparedness. Do you have extravagant plans for Eurovision night? Not yet. Uh, My daughter wants to get all her friends around. But the problem with that, I discovered last year, is that it goes on forever. It goes on till like midnight or something. But I plan to set something up. Yeah, we had a a big party for the coronation last weekend, so I think we're just going to be doing not really much this weekend because we haven't we still haven't really tidied all of the decorations away. So we look very like royalist, but I'm just telling everybody that they're for like their Eurovision decorations now. We're we're just supporting the UK <laughs> Eurovision. <laughs> I didn't know you were such a royalist, Becky. I'm not. You were having a coronation party. I am not a royalist, but my Swedish husband is a royalist, and I just wanted an excuse to have afternoon tea for all my friends. <laughs> How about you, James? Are you going to be watching Eurovision? I am, although I'm a bit disappointed. I don't really have any arrangements this year. I mean, as a as a as a naturalized Swede and a homosexual, I should be doing the whole thing <laughs> <laughs> squared. Um, but actually, I have a very disappointing just plans to sit in my summer house and watch it 
on a dodgy 4G connection. So I don't know. It's a bit disappointing, but I'm going to enjoy it anyway. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I was trying to convince Paul we should have done a Eurovision special episode with the with the with our podcasts for France and Germany, but he told me that would be too difficult. Totally. We could have even got our colleagues from Spain and Italy and Switzerland and everywhere mm. in. It could, be, could have been brilliant. Yeah, uh, set it up yourselves, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Next year, we, we start planning now. Uh, I spoke earlier to Ben Robertson from the ESC Insight podcast. He's in Liverpool all week to follow the action. And I asked him first to tell us about the popularity of Sweden's entrant, Loreen. Loreen is one of the artists in the Eurovision world who's almost of goddess status. And mm. certainly would be cementing that if victory does come on Saturday night. Loreen won the Eurovision Song in 2012 with Euphoria, which was one of the few songs this century, I would say, to go out and become a proper radio smash hit beyond the borders of Sweden. And you've got somebody who's very much loved by the Eurovision community. Loreen is favourite to win the Eurovision Song Contest, but is not a sure thing. And uh, it would be a, a bit of history made. I've had one artist before in Eurovision, Johnny Logan from Ireland, yes. who's won twice the Eurovision Song Contest as an artist, Loreen could be the second person. Yeah. How big a deal is it for Sweden if uh, Loreen wins? It's big in terms of historical sense, because since 1996, Ireland has had seven Eurovision victories, and it was said at the time that that would be an almost unbeatable number, yeah. now that we have 40 countries on average in the Eurovision Song Contest each year. But Sweden since then has won in 99, has won in 2012, has won in 2015, and Sweden's on six victories. So for Sweden to win would really cement Sweden's place in the modern Eurovision Song Contest as being the country that does this best. Final question. Is Sweden going to win the Eurovision? I think Sweden will win the Eurovision Song Contest. I am expecting, for better and worse, because there are some good songs in this lineup, I'm expecting Tattoo to be pretty much uniformly loved by the juries. I'm expecting, you know, I, I mentioned things like Finland and France and Spain that list beforehand, but they're musically diverse in the way that the two isn't. And I expect Jurors in particular to have Sweden so far ahead of the rest yeah. that even if Loreen does not win the public vote, I would know the expectation is maybe third, fourth, fifth place, but with enough points that nobody else can overtake. And then Sweden will win by a comfortable enough margin to bring Eurovision to Sweden. That was Ben Robertson from the ESC Inside podcast. And we have a lot more from that interview in an article you can find in the show notes. How about you lot? Can I get predictions from you? Is Lorene going to win for Sweden? Nope. What? That was controversial, Richard. Well, I, I just, I just, this is based on zero knowledge. I just feel that she's such a dead cert. Everybody's sure she's going to do it, but she's already been there. She's already done that. So I think it's going to be a wild card type. I think I think there'll be an upset. I think that she's probably going to win, but I almost would enjoy it more if Finland won because their song is just so crazy. I was totally going to say that. Her song is a great song and she's tipped by everybody. And for all, from, of all the songs I've listened to, it is the best song. I haven't listened to them all yet, I think, but I've listened to most of them. And hers was definitely the best of the ones I've heard. But Finland's was mm. hilarious. Mm. So I kind of hope they win, but I don't think. The only win. other one I've heard is Croatia's, which is tractor related. And I, I really, I really enjoyed that, I have to say. <laughs> I, have a, I have a soft spot for songs sung in the countries, like not sung in English. 
So I, I quite like Croatia. I quite like Portugal, you know, I, and Finland also. I, I think it's great when they sing in their own language. I quite like Belgians. That was not sung in their own language or any of their own languages. But it was very had a very early 90s vibe, which is very much my era. And it was sung by a man called Gustav with a PH, which I thought was... <laughs> Gustav. Bit funky. <laughs> Gustav. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, we'll 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 see how it goes on uh, on Saturday night. Thanks for those predictions. Before we move on, thanks to all listeners, old and new, who got in touch after our interview with Mikael Ribbenvik, the outgoing head of the Swedish Migration Agency. As we mentioned in the interview, he's finishing up at the end of this month, and we'll try to get an interview with his successor in due course, and we'll raise some of the issues you've sent us, and we'll ask for more questions when the time comes so we can get answers on a topic that affects a lot of listeners. Uh, And thank you also, as always, to our members who keep this whole show on the road. And if you're not a member but are thinking of joining, there's a link in the show notes where you can see our latest offers. Now, we're going to be quite politics heavy in this week's episode because there has been a lot going on that we want to get up to date with. And we'll start by talking about the far right Sweden Democrat leader, Jimmy Okason, before turning later in the episode to the effective leader of the centre left opposition, the Social Democrats, Magdalena Andersson. Now, the Sweden Democrats, as we know, had a very good election back in September, becoming the biggest party on the right of Swedish politics. The three-party coalition government does not include them, but is wholly reliant on their support. And you might have expected the party leader, Jimmy Okerson, to bask in that success. But like a lot of people in Sweden, he seemed to mysteriously disappear for the winter before re-emerging recently from his hibernation. And since then, He's been all over the news in what you described, Richard, as a here's Jimmy moment. And we'll link to your article on this in the notes. We'll talk about what he's been saying in a sec. But first of all, where's he been these past few months? Well, I think he's mostly been back home in in his uh, hometown of Sölvesborg, which is understandable because it's a gorgeous place. It's like, if you, it's like mm. uh, you know, by the coast, lovely, a lovely little week. And um, it's it's kind of historical as well. It's, 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 it's a beautiful little town. But... I've also heard in a, one of the podcasts I listened to that he's been in Thailand, which is where he normally goes on holidays, like most Swedes right. in the winter. Uh, but I haven't managed to confirm that. It's not new at all that he disengages outside of elections and party mm. leader debates. He's become increasingly disconnected from the kind of day-to-day running of the party and what goes on in parliament. And he sort of comes in for the big debates occasionally says something on Twitter, does the odd bit of media, but mostly, apparently, I'm told, he's in Servicebury. He's not in Stockholm. And the party increasingly is run by the kind of new generation, especially this guy, Gustav Jellebrandt, who's a former moderate who leads the SD in the Swedish government offices. So he's kind of becoming less in, engaged in, in the kind of the nitty gritty and more of the kind of semi non-executive chairman of the party. Mm. I guess he's uh, just such a he's such like a leading figure in the party. You couldn't get rid of him because he is he is the Sweden Democrats. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he 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 complete. you could say it's entirely his party. Isn't he? Yeah. he built it from this weird, slightly like a neo-Nazi party. He sort of changed it into a standard radical right party. Yeah. And if you look back at, at the last uh, decade or so, you know that he, he did take a period off sick for stress related uh, issues. Um, so perhaps it's not surprising that he's trying to pace himself um, a little now. He's been in the job. He's been in the job a very long time. He's the longest serving party leader by far. 
Yeah. Okay. And now that he is back, what's he what's he been saying? He's basically saying everything that the Sweden Democrats used to say before they were trying to become acceptable as a collaboration partner with the other right-wing parties. So he said in a recent interview that fundamentalist or maybe orthodox, he said, bookstav truander, which means believing to the letter. Muslims cannot become Swedish. It's in- incompatible with Swedishness. And they wouldn't have said that, I think, over the last five years. And he wrote a debate article arguing it's time to reevaluate Sweden's membership of the European Union, which he said was increasingly Mm. becoming like a straitjacket for Sweden. And again, that's something I think they used to want to leave the European Union. And I think they got rid of it in before the 2019 European election or something. They ditched that policy and said they wanted to reform it from inside. And then he backed his right-hand man, Matthias Carlsen's threat to topple the government if this new EU migration pact, which we talked about last week, becomes law. And then he's also weighed into the cultural debate, sort of backing municipalities who've tried to stop things like libraries, paying drag queens to read stories to children. So what does the the Sweden Democrats' more hardline stance mean for the government? Is it damaging for them? Well, I think it's definitely, definitely damaging. And they've had this kind of three, four month period where they haven't sort of had to face the full consequences of the really difficult decision that they've had to make to accept the backing of the Sweden Democrats. But now the screw is is turning. And um, and and the more radical, I think, the, the Sweden Democrats rhetoric becomes, the more the government parties, you know, the moderates, the liberals, maybe less so the Christian Democrats, are going to lose their more moderate voters who were slightly uncomfortable with the kind of mm. devil's bargain they made with the far right to accept their backing. And that's if it just stays as rhetoric, which I think it probably will do, but we'll we'll see over the next four years because the Sweden Democrats can topple the government whenever they like. Without the, without the Sweden Democrats, the other three parties together have fewer seats in parliament than the Social Democrats do alone. And they've already got their entire immigration policy. And the risk, I think, for the other parties is that they get greedy, if the, that they think, well, actually, we want more. We want all the other stuff we've got. Why can't you give us that? And then they start mm. to push into other areas like culture or EU affairs, which aren't part of the Tito agreement, you might end up with a kind of game of chicken where the Sweden Democrats like, well, get closer and closer to actually toppling the government and just see if the government is willing to go, okay, you can have that too. And at the moment, what you read in the media by right-wing commentators is that they don't think the Sweden Democrats will do this because it's not in their interest, because they've won this incredible victory. They've managed to get accepted. They've managed to get their entire immigration policy is going to be enacted basically this mm. this parliament and why would they want to just throw that away for something that isn't one of their core policies they've already got their core policies why why topple the government that's actually enacting what they what they want but i mean i'm not sure how disciplined the party is you know the, as parties like sweden democrats that the people their politicians are like more impulsive it feels like every few months you get some minor kind of council member in the Sweden Democrats saying something extremely racist and they say, oh, we have a zero tolerance policy. Let's just get rid of this person. And but I think the other thing that's interesting here with what um, with, with, with what Richard is saying, the, other, the flip side of that is the more extreme the Sweden Democrats get on certain issues, the harder it becomes to hold the other three parties together in support of the TIDA agreement, even though those parties have decided, you know, strategically that we need, if we're ever going to have a chance to be in government, we need to work with the with with the mm. Sweden Democrats. They have a tiny, you know, they have a tiny majority together with the Sweden Democrats. It's uh, since the, the, the Sweden Democrats lost a member of parliament. The first 
political savage, as they say, of this parliament. <laughs> what's the what's the term in English? It's uh, independent. Uh, Independent. independent, the first independent, yeah. yeah. We should maybe also mention that Cecilia Malmström uh, has left the Liberals. So she was like kind of a, a big, big high up. Former EU commissioner. Yeah, yeah she'd been a minister. A big deal. In, the, in 2019, she could have become the leader. So she's left the Liberals. It was announced um, yesterday, so on Wednesday. And she hasn't said why, but I think that it's entirely possible it could be due to them getting getting into bed with the Sweden Democrats. What will be the bombshell if she, is, is if she comes down with some really forceful opinion piece, why I left the Liberals or something, but she hasn't yet done that. But. And if that leads to people who are currently active within the Liberals in Parliament, for example, taking a similar view, and, you know, it doesn't take many, and I think it's, I think it's highly unlikely right now, but over the, course of the, over the course of the next three and a bit years, you don't need more than a few MPs to leave their parties in Parliament. And you've suddenly got a government that's lost its majority. And then, then it's in trouble. Just staying with the small parties on the right, there's speculation at the moment about Ebba Bush's future as well. She didn't turn up for the party leader debate the other day. I mean, there was, did you see that? Oh, there was an article in Expressen with sources within the Christian Democrats questioning yeah. whether she should keep her role and, and promoting Jakob Forschmann, who, who, who was really, really good in the um, TV debate on Sunday. So they're like, wow, you know, he's, he's the new star. Do we still want Ebba, who's got all of this um, baggage. baggage of all the things she promised in the election campaign that, that people feel she hasn't delivered on? Looking at what the Sweden Democrats is doing, it's it's the question as to what extent is this just a party that isn't disciplined and to what extent is this strategic? And I think if you look at what Jimmy Orkson and the four and the the sort of the gang of four, his kind of old Lund University gang that put the party together, Bjorn Serda, Richard Jomsoff, Matthias Carlsen, I think they do know what they're doing. And I think what they're looking at is if you look at what the Progress Party did in part in Norway or the Danish People's Party in Denmark, is once you become once you get power, you're at risk of becoming an establishment party. So what the Progress Party, which was actually in government, did is they would sort of almost split the party. They had people who were the finance minister and the immigration minister being, you know, normal-ish politicians. And then they mm. kind of licensed other members of the party to be kind of as radical as they as they wanted yeah. and up the rhetoric outside of the, the government. And the two parties kind of coexisted. So you you're almost in opposition to yourself. And that way you're kind of true believers, the kind of hardcore followers of the party don't feel they've been abandoned and that the party has, like they say in Sweden, kind of become like Som Alla Andra, you know, like all the others, like just become a normal party. So I think they, they're trying to kind of underline the fact they are an anti-establishment party, that they're not just a part of the right bloc. They are radical and disruptive and will continue to be so. And the best way of doing that is to make journalists write about them. So Jimmy Orkson knows full well that if he says something about Muslims, which he doesn't normally say, that will get in all the papers. And all of the kind of people against immigration and uncomfortable with foreigners in Sweden will feel that the party's got their back and that they haven't just become a kind of auxiliary support party for the moderates. Okay, great. Um, thanks, Richard, for that roundup. And um, you have your Here's Jimmy article that we linked to in the notes and also uh, an article about what he's been saying about how practicing Muslims cannot be sweet. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So we'll have more politics in a few minutes, but we're going to turn now to language or indeed languages because Becky's on a pan-Scandinavian mission this week and we want to hear all about it in the first of two articles, you asked, Becky, why Scandinavians don't make more of an effort to understand each other's languages. Can you give us some background on this? What prompted you to write the article? Well, there's two reasons, really. There's something I've been thinking about since I moved to Sweden. And uh, so when I first moved here, I didn't speak Swedish. I spoke Danish. So I tried speaking Danish to my husband's friends and they looked at me blankly. (laughs) (laughs) So I switched to English. But the tipping point for me was a course I was on last week in Stockholm where all of the audience was Swedish. And then there was two two groups of people presenting. One group was Danish and one group was Norwegian. Um, The Norwegians could present in Norwegian. The Swedes understood them fine. And the Danes got one sentence out before the, the, the Swedes in the audience said, can you speak English? We don't understand what you're saying. Obviously, I'm probably a bit biased. First off, because I speak Danish. And second off, because I actually have a degree in Scandinavian studies where I studied all three languages. But I don't think it's that hard to understand a Dane holding a presentation. You have notes behind them that you can read. Like, not even trying. I just thought it was really surprising for me. Like, I get that in Skolna, we have a lot more contact with Danes. You know, you can hop over to Copenhagen for the day. But it feels to me like a lot of Swedes just kind of give up on Danish without even trying. You don't agree then with that famous uh, Norwegian comedy sketch that has a Dane complaining that Danish has basically collapsed into meaningless guttural sounds. Is this Kamalosa? That is Kamalosa, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I would be lying if I said Danish was easy to understand if you don't put any effort in. And like, it was just the fact that Danish is not hard for Swedes to read. I think most Swedes would, would admit that they can at least read quite a bit of Danish. And just... You have the notes behind them written in Danish. You can read exactly what they're saying. Like, surely that should help you like, match it to what they're saying. I don't know. Yeah, but you can't understand a word. I mean, I've lived in Sweden <laughs> for 20 years and I've spoken Swedish for 20 years. My Swedish is good. My Swedish is really good. Yet, <laughs> I hear the Danes speak. And if uh, modern Danes speaking modern Danish as it's spoken, colloquial Danish as it's spoken in daily life, I literally lose the thread after two sentences yeah. and I can pick up odd words and and maybe get a vague idea of this of the general subject they're talking about but I can't tune in it's so hard guttural sounds and I feel it's a bit like cockney english you know where you drop all the consonants to 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 such an extent that all you've all you're left with is a bunch of vowels sort of up and down and making lots of weird noises but wouldn't you say becky that really all you need to do is spend just a, a little bit of time tuning your ear to it and you You'll, you'll be able to figure it out. And But what are the benefits? Why, why should people learn all these languages? I think, so for me, I see it as like an expansion pack. You know, you've put in the effort to learning Swedish. You can put in a tiny bit more effort and you get like a whole new language for free. And you obviously get all the benefits of like learning a new language. It makes it easier to travel. You get access to a country's culture and all of that. But like you get these two languages for free. And I think that's kind of what 
I thought was so cool about Scandinavia is that I was sold on this idea of everything being mutually intelligible. And then no one told me when I spoke Danish that no one would understand <laughs> what I was saying. Um, yeah, and I think, I think a lot of people would, would agree with, with James because when you hear Danish, it just sounds... It just sounds terrifying. It sounds like something. <laughs> it sounds like something you'd never be able to get get your head around. But I think I think. But I think you would say that that's not necessarily the case, right? So, and you wrote you wrote the second article offering advice to anyone wanting to get to grips with Danish and Norwegian. So, what are your your best tips? Yeah, so I learned how to speak Swedish by marrying a Swede, which I appreciate isn't possible for everyone. But like my my biggest tip is if you live in a Scandinavian country, you can actually watch a lot of TV for free from the public broadcasters in the other countries. So that's NRK in Norway. That's DR in Denmark and SVT obviously in Sweden. And there's also quite a lot of a lot of Danish and Swedish and Norwegian TV that gets kind of broadcast on SVT and stuff like that, which you can read with Swedish subtitles. You can also listen to radio or podcasts in other languages. You can listen to music. Uh, I've got some tips uh, in my article on how you can find music in the other languages on Spotify, like the best way to search for like playlists in, in different languages. When I was at uni, the massively popular Norwegian show Scam came out. Um, so I remember watching that to improve my Norwegian with Norwegian subtitles. So you're training listening and reading at the same time. I got really into Scandinavian rap and hip hop for a while, despite not <laughs> listening to it in English. Um, and then other than that, I think learning the words that differ between the languages that often cause issues. That's a really, really big tip. So, uh, for example, in Swedish, rolig is fun, but roli in Danish is quiet. So if you ask your taxi driver in Copenhagen, can you take me somewhere roly? They're going to take you somewhere quiet. They might take you to the library. So don't be disappointed. <laughs> it's not because they think it's a particularly fun place. Another one that I find really funny is uh, bolla. So in Swedish, you can bolla an idea, which is like bouncing an idea off someone. But to bolla, bolla, someone in Danish is having sex with them. So don't go around <laughs> saying that you were you were a bolla any day with your boss. Like that might sound a bit dirty to a day. So just things like that. Like, yeah, just learn kind of, Swedish has some weird some weird phrases, Danish has some weird phrases, Norwegian has some weird phrases. Like I think some some good ways of kind of getting around the language issue is just learn the weird phrases that your language has that the others might not understand. Mm. And you can get that up by reading or by listening, you kind of pick it up naturally. But I think one of the things you, you had a word earlier which varelse in Swedish, which means an animal. Mm. And in in Danish, you, there's a, there's a similar word what how, what is it? Varelse. And that means room. Room. Yeah, like your your bedroom, your bedroom is your soul of Elsa. You've got your bell of Elsa, which is your bathroom. But I think the other thing with that, you know, when you pronounce Elsa, it's like it's almost it sounds to me like just one one syllable. And so I can see that, you know, when you tell me that it's the same word as Varelsa, I can I can understand that, you know, that that what you mean. But in a conversation, I would find it quite hard to pick up that you were saying a word that was even vaguely even similar to Varelsa because it all just sort of came out in one big sort of gloop. You can learn that. I, d I did a course at Folk University, which didn't teach me Danish, but it was Dance for Svensk Tarlander. And the, the hope was that I would learn Danish. And, and, and there was a lovely Danish woman. And basically all it was, was learning how the Danes miss out all their consonants, where they miss them mm. out. So so D's in the, at the end of a word, you say, you don't say, T's in the middle of the word become D, and there's and you can learn all these rules. It's it's not completely random. It follows a pattern, and once you learn the pattern, then you th yeah. then you can understand how the languages are different. That sounds really key. Yeah. So really, just one one course, and you've kind of you kind of cracked it if you've got good Swedish. Yeah. I mean, that's my. I, I'm not saying that you don't have to put any effort in, but I just I find it surprising that Scandinavians seem to have no interest in even trying to learn the other languages. You know, you can like 
double, triple the amount of people you can speak to in your in your Scandinavian language. You open up so much more. And like also in in the Faroe Islands, in Iceland, in Finland, in Greenland, they they learn like either Swedish or Danish in school, depending on the country. So it's not just that you can talk to Danes and Norwegians, you can talk to lots of other people as well. And it, it, it kind of makes it more equal in a way because not everyone speaks English to a level where they'd be comfortable communicating. And if you can speak to someone and they can speak back in their native language, that's just adds so much to communication. I've taken Becky's advice and switched my phone to Danish, which is a completely, <laughs> com- complete, complete, completely confusing. It's completely confusing me. I'm here for all of your Danish practice needs. Start speaking Danish to you in the podcast. Great. Thanks very much for that, Becky. And we'll link to uh, both of those articles. Back to politics now. And a few days ago, the Dagens Nyheter newspaper published an opinion piece from the Social Democrat leader Magdalena Andersson, in which she claims that democracy is under serious threat in Sweden and that the country risks sleepwalking into authoritarianism unless people wake up and voice their disapproval and get more involved in society. What's she basing this on, James? What does she say are the anti-democratic actions putting the country's soul at stake? So in general terms, what she's saying is that the Sweden Democrats, which she says are an extreme right party, that they're basically running the government. Mm. Specifically, what she's uh, what she's concerned about is a proposal from the government, which was originating from the Sweden Democrats, that targets lotteries run by the Social Democrats, her party. The Sweden Democrats and the government now want to launch an inquiry into these lotteries and with the aim of proposing a ban. Now, these lotteries provide about half of the revenue that the Social Democrats rely on to run their party organisation. So what Anderson says is that this is an attack on democracy and is a move worthy of authoritarian regimes. Mm. A bit of background to this. Gambling in Sweden is heavily regulated, but both voluntary organisations, for instance, the the, the temperance movement, the anti-alcohol movement, and some sports movements, but also political parties are allowed to run lotteries. And this is kind of a a carve-out from the otherwise quite strict gambling regulations. So the government wants to remove that right just from political parties. And they've been quite clear about their motives, or at least the Sweden Democrats have been quite clear about their motives. Um, so the Sweden Democrat chair of the business committee uh, in parliament, Tobias Andersson, was explicit that he said that we need to turn off the money tap that finances the Social Democrats. Mm-hmm. So this is very much a targeted attack on the Social Democrats' financing. And so this is why Andersson is saying that this is, this is an attack on democracy. Now, what a lot of uh, supporters of the government have said that there are problems with these lotteries. And it's been pointed out that these lotteries, for instance, allow people to buy lottery tickets on credit, that they sometimes drive people who bought these um, bought these lottery tickets who haven't paid for them. They're taken to debt collection and that people have fallen into, um, in, in, into significant, significant debt because of this. And there have also been reports of um, aggressive telephone sales techniques by the lotteries. So, you know, they, they have raised some relevant questions, some, some, some important questions. But at the same time, what, what Anderson is saying is that the fact that, that they are explicit about the fact that uh, this is targeted at the Social Democrats' basic financing, that makes this an attack on democracy. 
they are vulnerable to accusations of hypocrisy because the moderates themselves tried to set up a rival lottery, I think, a few years ago, and it fell completely flat because they don't have the same sort of party organisation. So so while they're saying this is, you know, terribly uh, immoral, they actually tried to do the same thing themselves and failed. And then after failing, they're like, well, we'll make it illegal then. You know, so so I think I think it's 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 hard for them to argue that based on the fact that they tried to do exactly the same thing. The moderates have still have their own lottery, but it, I mean it's very it's very small and doesn't contribute much to their to to to, to their coffers. Dagens Nyheter had an editorial called "The Sweden Democrats Are Playing with the Government, and the Government Is Playing with Fire," and it was it was all about this issue. And they brought up the fact that there was there were cross party discussions about party financing a few years back, and that that's usually how these kind of things are resolved. It's a cross party issue. A government doesn't unilaterally intervene. Exactly, and I think this is. This is this is the core of a lot of the criticism against it. It's like you can criticize the Social Democrats lotteries, mm. but given that these are so important to their financing, if you want to reform the, the, the law, if you want to change the law surrounding party political lotteries, then you need to look at party financing more broadly. There, and there are massive questions. There, there are questions about um, anonymous donations and the way the parties try to get round, around the rules on nom- uh, anonymous donations. Most recently, there was an investigation um, just before the election by the investigative program Califact and Tivifira that showed that quite a lot of, um, that, that a number of political parties, particularly those on the right, were, but also including the Sweden, Dem- the Social Democrats, sorry, were, were using quite sophisticated methods or were open to using quite sophisticated methods to get around the uh, the cap on anonymous donations. Mm. So I think what, what, what critics of the government are saying, um, you know, well beyond uh, Magdalene Andersson herself, is that you don't use the power of the government to attack your the opposition's financing. You do this in, in broad consensus. Yeah, and so this was this was at the core of, of her article. She also mentioned a few other things we can just run through quickly. Like she mentioned the Sweden Democrats threatening to strip government funding from the rights groups that criticise the contents of the TIDA agreement. The Sweden Democrats attacking the legitimacy of journalists and threatening to punish journalists. The Sweden Democrats calling the non-political heads of government agencies activists, like we saw last week. The government in April shortening the time in office for external board members at Sweden's universities from three years to 17 months, which universities have been very critical of. And Richard has written quite a comprehensive article about Magdalene Anderson's uh, debate piece, so we can we can link to that. But James, what's the reaction been like to her article? Well, Ulf Kristersson in the uh, in the party leader debate on Sunday accused Magdalena Andersson of trying to Americanize Swedish politics. And the issue is just is clearly though divided people into two camps. So, so, so defenders of the government say that raising the spectre of Hungary is unworthy. Um, they just say, look, the, these 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 lotteries in particular, which has been the main issue that's really caught fire in the last week, that the lotteries are straightforwardly unethical and should be banned, and that we shouldn't resort to hyperbole um, when discussing these kinds of issues. But others, like Ulrika Schienström from the um, from the think tank think tank Forers, who previously uh, moderate Prime Minister Fredrik Reinfeldt's closest ally, she says that a gov- the government should never use the power of its position to target the opposition financially. And if there should be any reforms to party financing, they should be looked at in consensus and take take the issue as a whole. Ulf Christen didn't stop at saying, accusing her of 
uh, Americanizing Swedish politics, like in the, the party debate, she said this. He said this was Trump-like rhetoric. It made my head spin a bit because he said um, this is like Trump, where you accuse the other side of trying to undermine democracy. And I'm like, oh no, my head hurts. It was a kind of rhetorical, enormous rhetorical contortion. When you know, clearly, I mean, I find it. it I find I listen to the Svenska Dagblad comment section podcast, and and you see, have people like justifying this and saying, yes, of course, you know, lotteries. They shouldn't be funded. And, and you, I just think, come on, come on. This is absolutely an attack on the Social Democrats to, to pretend that this is some sort of technocratic move to clear up the use of lotteries in ideal organisations. It's just, just that you have to have brass balls the size of, uh, to, to try and make that argument. It's obviously an attack and it's obviously wrong. And it's obviously a little step in the direction of Hungary. Is it a big step in the direction of Hungary? No, but it's 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 definitely going that way. It's We're not hungry yet, but that's the direction, I think. But, I but do that... think it is also a bit odd in a country like Sweden, where you've got like so much work to kind of help people with spelmissbruk, like uh, gambling addiction, that also like the, the major party, which for most of Swedish history has been the government, the party of government, is just like, yeah, no, gamble, fine. It's fine as long as you're you're financing us. Like, yeah, no. I do think that's it's an anomaly. It doesn't make sense in Swedish. Now I'm not saying that it's democratic or not, but I do think it is. It is something that is a bit odd. Yeah, this I is agree. the thing, and I think what you would what you would find a lot of people on the right of Swedish politics f- have said for many years, not just now, but for many years, is that basically the Social Democrats, thanks to their m- many decades uh, as the dominant party of Swedish politics, have kind of rigged the system in their favor. Now of course theoretically all of you know these parties any party can start a party lottery but it's the social democrats that that um that through their their folkrörelse so their 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 position as a, as a as a party of as a broad membership party have been able to use this this legislation that's very favorable to party lotteries in their favor and they have they've been the, they have been the party that's also set the legislation so i think you know there's a long standing feeling not just among the sweden democrats but among other parties on the on the right that somehow there is not there has not been a level playing field when it comes to party financing and they would also mention the social democrats connections with the unions and the, and the fact that the unions provide them with a lot of financing and also um, other kinds of other kinds of support at election time so you know there are long standing issues here there are you know party financing is always a very difficult issue in every country but what it comes down to and, the, and what's controversial about this and and what is perhaps um, what a lot of people find what find distasteful about this is the fact that they're just looking at one aspect of it they're not looking at it on in a, on a bipartisan mm. um, basis, and they're using the power of the government just to target one party's um, one party's financing. You know, if they were to do this, and you know, they 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 could use they they could if they could get this get a majority for this in parliament, they could absolutely ban these lotteries, and that's fifty percent of the Social Democrats' revenues gone. That's a big deal. Let's wrap it up there. Our panellists today were James Savage, Richard Orange and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer, as always, is the unsung hero of this podcast, Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next week with another episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl. But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.